0: at National United Methodist Church, where we seek to make the love of God obvious. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel B. Livingston, but often in my day-to-day life, many people just call me Pastor Rachel. Sometimes they call me Pastor Rachel. Sometimes they call me Reverend Livingston. Sometimes they call me Dr. Livingston. Sometimes it's Reverend Rachel. I go by many names and I answer to most of them. So if you see me on the street, you can call me Pastor Rachel or Reverend Livingston or Reverend Rachel, I will answer. (laughs) But here we are at Prayer and Praise where we share our faith stories on our journey of life, where we can see where God is at work. And our lives themselves can be a lived out prayer as we journey on this road of faith. And as I continue to create these podcasts, my hope is that you hear these faith stories and you see that you aren't standing alone because there are people just like you experiencing the same things and asking the same questions. And God is with us on the journey. This week we heard a meditation from the Reverend Erica Robinson Johnson, who is the chief administrative officer of the Baltimore Washington Conference and the Peninsula Delaware Conference of the United Methodist Church. And she also happens to be the spouse of our senior pastor. In her meditation, She challenges us to think about what it really means to love our neighbor and create spaces where we are living into being that beloved community. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the term beloved community before, but the term beloved community was first popularized by Martin Luther King Jr., in which he was encouraging people to live together in community where the needs of love, peace, and justice are met, and people are no longer suffering or living in oppression. And that's what we're supposed to work toward. We are supposed to work toward living in community where we can love on one another. It is what some might call, or what some believe is, the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of God should look like. Erica talks to us about what it means to be the church and not just make disciples but push ourselves to also transform the world around us. She gives us her experience from being in camp ministries and how it was freeing to allow these children around her or a child as she was at the time to be who they were or who they are and push beyond specific stereotypes. And these children did not have to conform to a box and they were able to nurture one another and love on one another in that space. This is our goal as the church, to create spaces where people can live into who they are and not worry about stereotypes. But I challenge you to take the time to listen, to get to know Erica Robinson Johnson a little bit better as she shares her unique witness. And remember, on Prayer and Praise, We enjoy the fact that our lives can be lived out prayer to God and our witness as a testimony that is an act of our praise. So let's get into it. We'll start with our scripture, then we will get into our meditation, and then we'll get deeper in conversation with Reverend Erica Robinson Johnson.
1: going to share the scripture that was chosen by Reverend Erica this evening. And it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. And you'll see in a moment why I have these beautiful lilies behind me. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what will I eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things and indeed your heavenly father Knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Thanks be to God. Amen.
2: Thank you, Rita, for reading those words that. I need to hear as much as I hope you do, Um, and especially, Jeannie, thank you for the silence and the centering prayer. It's Wednesday on the calendar, but I feel like it's Friday, (laughs) given the week I've had already. It's been that kind of a week, so sometimes I just need to be reminded that God's got this, um, and this is one of those weeks, so... um, I appreciate being with you. I thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to pause here midweek to share in the good news um, of God's um, word to us this, this week as we pray and praise God together. I don't know if you all know, but I was ordained almost 30 years ago. And when I began my professional ministry back then, One of the cutting edges for churches was to provide a worship experience for seekers, those who were unchurched but seeking a faith community or faith experience, or at least to know God better. There were seeker services that churches would advertise. And I don't hear that language used much anymore, um, especially not in the United Methodist Church. I don't know of churches that still advertise a seeker service. And I'm not sure why, but I I think that part of it is because along the way, a lot of us realized that all of us are seekers. Most of us are on a spiritual journey to know ourselves better, to understand who we are and what our purpose is here. We crave companionship on that journey, we want to be in deeper relationship with God as well as God's creation. Most everyone is seeking something companionship, answers, direction, purpose, relationship, happiness, fame or fortune, hope, healing. And we all seek those things out in whatever places and means we can find them, some of them healthy and good, and some maybe not so. As a community of faith, we can't be all things to all people and everything and provide everything that people are seeking but we do come together as companions and as seekers together to experience the love of God and to share that love with one another. I was not born into a community of faith, into a church, but I rather I came to my Christian faith through the invitation of friends to participate in summer church camp. And that experience transformed my life. I found school, especially as a preteen and teenager, to be a really difficult place. It was hard to find a place to fit in. It was hard to make friends. And we all know that the pressures on young people to meet expectations can be overwhelming. I'm so grateful now that it wasn't made worse in my youth by social media. It was bad enough in eighth grade. What I experienced at a United Methodist camp, however, was what I later learned to call unconditional love. For me, it was a safe space to be my authentic self, not only to be included, but also affirmed. It was a place where I was free to be me, while also surrounded by those who encouraged me to continue to grow and transform into all that God created me to be that I was not all then, all that I would ever become. It was a space for me to be embraced and launched into a future of possibility and hope. It was there in those camping experiences that I experienced the grace of God and the incarnation of God, one who dwells within us in creation and in relationship with others. It was there that I saw a glimpse of the beloved community or what we may call the kingdom of God. It was in that environment returning year over year where I eventually experienced God's call on my life to make ministry my vocation. I so wanted to bring that experience to all those who were seeking some of the same things. I I know that's why so many camp directors and camp staff were former campers, because they loved it so much themselves that they wanted to provide the opportunity for others. I just wanted to bring that experience beyond camp. I never wanted to be a camp director, but I wanted to bring that experience beyond the camp environment so that in all the churches I served, my primary purpose Um, my primary goal was to draw a wide circle of welcome in order that all God's children could know, love, and share that love. It's what we like to say at National, making the love of God obvious. So full circle moment was about 10 years ago when I left the local church ministry and I joined a conference staff in New England where part of my profile included overseeing five United Methodist camps and retreat centers. Um, It was also at that time that I affirmed that, I'm glad I didn't go into camp ministry full time, um, but that was um, a blessing too, to be able to be part of the camping ministry there. Working in that setting certainly confirmed that my experience, my own experience as a young person in camp was not unique but was vitally important, and it continues to be a vitally important ministry that we offer to our young people, and actually through retreat ministry to seekers of all ages. We also know it is true, and was certainly revealed through my work, that we can't guarantee that all of our campers experience safe space, or even unconditional love and support at church camp, because campers and staff are human, And as imperfect humans they bring their cruelty and their ignorance to camp with them and it's true in the church too as much as we say with our vision statements and our slogans and even as much as we want it to be true in our hearts sometimes the church is not all that the church should be and i want to say and affirm that the united methodist church has done a remarkable job over the past 25 years to make safety and inclusion top priorities so that most will find in these places amazing grace and a wide welcome and transforming love. While my job title no longer has camping in its profile, I do lead the Baltimore Washington Conference with Bishop Easterling and together we proudly claim two wonderful camps as part of our mission and ministry here. West River near Annapolis and Manadokan near Harper's Ferry. I'm so very grateful that National Church has partnered with West River to provide a camping experience this summer for the Trey Ron Center. Kids who have experienced gun violence will have a place of nurture, healing, and support at our camp. I understand that you can help make this vision, this is a shameless plug here, but you can make this vision come to fruition by your financial support and you can also support camping beyond the Trayron experience with your own time and talent if you'd like to come to Manadokan or Harper or uh, Manadoken or West River this summer we need all the help we can get volunteering at either day camp or an overnight camp so if you're interested please let me know or Reverend Janet or even Pastor Doug can help you to get signed up for those things now back to my message Um, While camping was my entry point into faith, it's not the only way, of course, to find a relationship with God. And that's why it's so vitally important that we provide opportunities wherever we can for people to see and to know God. We know there are opportunities at National for meditation, for retreat, for study, for worship, for prayer, for gardening, for healing, for friendship, for space to explore who God is, who you are, and who you are in relationship to God and one another. One thing I know is also true. God is ready to enter into every seeker's heart, and God can be found anywhere. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was to close a church camp. There were plenty of good reasons for doing it. But it didn't settle well with those who had found God in that place. It was even harder than a church closing. And I know some of you have been through a church closing. And you know the pain and the loss and the grief of that. I would definitely grieve the loss of a place that had meant so much to me. But the danger comes in relegating that place to the only place where God lives. People sent me hate mail. People called me on the phone. They insisted God lived at that camp. And if we closed it, then they and generations to come would never know God. And we can hear that story and say it's not rational. And yet it is a very human response. A few weeks ago, we celebrated together Transfiguration Sunday. We recalled the story of Peter going up a mountain with Jesus, and they're experiencing a divine moment an incredible, awesome encounter with God. So much so that he wanted to build booths and stay there forever. And we remember Jesus' response to turn Peter and the other disciples around and send them down that mountain back into the real world. Do you remember who went with them? Jesus, and he led the way. When we experience the transforming love of God, whether at camp or in our sanctuary or on retreat, we don't want that feeling to ever end. And while the feelings may not last forever, the relationship certainly can and does. In the reading from Matthew today, Jesus gives us an image, a metaphor of how we might remember this. A visual sign of an inward grace that is constantly available to us. Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus says. This passage is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, another place Jesus' disciples didn't want to leave. I've been there along the Mediterranean coast in the Galilean area, the Mount of Beatitudes, it's called. When I've gone there with pilgrims on a journey, We walk the paths through gardens that are beautifully manicured and cared for by the sisters there who are entrusted with that property. And you can just imagine Jesus and the multitudes around listening to the stories that he's telling as they look at the water in the distance. I can understand why they didn't want to go, even when they were hungry and all that they had to eat was whatever the kid brought in his lunch basket. I can understand why they didn't dare leave hanging on every word. But the beauty of that place and that moment was part of a journey and part of a spiritual journey that we all take. And when we hear the stories, we carry them with us and I carry those images with me wherever I go. Today, those of us who are in DC anyway, know that it is peak cherry blossom season here in DC. A couple of years ago, when I was still working in Boston, but grounded here in DC in the parsonage because of COVID, I would send photos back to my colleagues or show them out the window while I was on a Zoom, the blossoms that were um, filling our trees while they were still buried in snow. And Pastor Doug told me that one of the members of the church recently told him there's no more beautiful place than D.C. in springtime. Well, I certainly share in that expression of love and appreciation for the beauty of the blossoms. And we know that experiencing nature is so important to our physical, spiritual, and mental well-being. I think Jesus knew it too. He reminds us that God did that. He points out the flowers of the field as a sign of God's beloved creation of which we are also a part. What are you seeking? If God cares for these creations, God can also fulfill our needs as well. While I savor the nearly year-round blooms of the Mid-Atlantic and don't take them for granted, the signs of God's beauty are everywhere to be found in nature. My colleagues in Massachusetts just shared uh, their joy at the crocus pushing through the snow in yards that are still covered in the white stuff and recognized it as a sign of hope. When I was growing up in Kansas, we had have months of barren land and it was The artist Ansel Adams who helped me to appreciate the beauty and wonder of a bare tree in winter. There is beauty and possibility in nature that helps us see beauty and possibility in ourselves and in the world. I know that this uh, service on Wednesdays, this prayer and praise time together, that you have a tradition of lighting a candle But tonight I invite you to do something a little different. I invite you to look out your window, wherever you are, for a sign of God's abundant love in creation. Look for something alive out there, a blossom on a tree or in the yard, or maybe it's still the bare trees with the buds that are just popping out. Maybe it's a squirrel or a bird. And if you can't see outside, I know I saw Judge McKeever's there in his office, and I said, well, if you can't see outside, then look for something near you indoors, maybe a a plant or a pet or another human or a photo or a painting of something living that God created, and take a moment for giving thanks. We give thanks to God who created the lilies of the field and created us to seek delight in the outdoors, to wonder at the majesty of creation, and to find in it a place for ourselves to grow as well. May we be reminded by the beauty around us that God who created us wants us to blossom with possibility, and that when we find and experience the freedom and the grace and the love that God offers us, then we can share that with the world around us as we say in worship at the wesley campus work through us and our gifts lord so that what comes to us as seed goes forth as flower and what comes to us as flower goes forth as fruit may it be so for you and for me <laughs>
0: So we are gathered together with our meditation speaker, which is Erica Robinson Johnson. And as we gather with each of our people who share a meditation, we ask them to share a little bit about themselves and who they are. So who is Erica?
2: Good morning. I'm glad to be with you. I will introduce myself in a couple of ways. My connection to National United Methodist Church, and probably the reason I was invited to speak, was because I'm the senior pastor's spouse, and we've been married almost 30 years, I guess 30 years this year, and um, have been um, sharing in ministry and in marriage and parenting for a long time. But I also am a ordained United Methodist elder, and my current appointment is to work alongside the bishop of this area, which is called the Baltimore-Washington Conference. And together, I work with the bishop to oversee and care for the ministries and mission of about 600 churches in the Baltimore and Washington, D.C. area. And then most recently, we've been asked to oversee another conference called the Peninsula Delaware Conference. So all of Maryland, Washington, D.C., Delaware and a little bit of West Virginia is our territory. That's
0: quite a a large list of things to kind of take care of. I know that maybe this is my own little plug that I know that the American students were eager to meet you because they were kind of like, we just have to meet this lady boss. That's just <laughs> amazing. So I know that you are an inspiration to a lot of people. You may not realize that, but you're quite an interesting individual, I believe. So maybe people don't get a chance to see the real Erica, but.
2: I think that's very true. People don't really, they, they see me as an administrator or a bureaucrat most often. <laughs> it's been about 10 years since I was a local church pastor. And mm-hmm. um, that was the last time I think people and even there, you know, sometimes pastors aren't seen as people. So, True. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, um, I'm I glad for the work I do. But it does separate me from being a human, se- seeming like a human <laughs> being sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we give you a little bit of space to be human. Although I know it's a little difficult even being the, I mean, I think you play a little bit of a interesting role of being this administrator over here, but then also being like the pastor's wife over here, but Mm -hmm. you have your own thing and in your own right. And um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting. But when you first started talking in your meditation, you talked about how when you came into ministry, how there was such a big talk about working with seekers and connecting to people who are searching for something. And you also kind of talked about how We don't always talk about that anymore. I think there has been that shift probably from the 90s into now where we don't necessarily talk a lot about seekers, but maybe because there are more seekers now. I don't know. But give us a little bit of your impression of what it means to be a seeker and maybe what people might be looking for and maybe how the church might be able to respond to some of those people who are seeking.
2: Right. So I said that I'd been, um, well, I said today I've been married for almost 30 years, but I've also been a pastor for about that long. And in the early 90s, there was the evangelical push or the, the coaching for churches was to make sure you had big parking lots and make sure that you had all the signs and make sure you all were ready. And I think the focus was on attracting people who were seeking a church. Uh And so how can we as churches be the best, you know, marketing (laughs) was important and and all of everything we did was to prepare to be the one, you know, be the church that people would find, you know, the seeking people, but it was, the implication was that people were seeking us out. They were looking for churches, and if you were invisible, or if you didn't have a place for, you know, weren't ready for them, that they'd go on to the next place, and they'd find their church, Mm -hmm. and I guess now we know statistically that we don't have, the the numbers of people looking for churches has significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. I mean, people that are looking for a church have kind of found their church. They're in the church. The numbers of people in churches has drastically declined in the last 30 years. And the number of people seeking a church has also. So that doesn't mean that people don't have the same human needs, I guess was the connection I was making in Mm -hmm. my meditation was that we're all still human. We all still have a need for connection with other human beings. We all still have a need to find our purpose. We all still have a need to understand why we're here and what we're supposed to do with our lives. We have need to grow and transform. Sometimes we don't know that, but I mean, some of us are seeking the ways that we can be better humans, and some people are just content with living their life. But at some point, people come to crisis, people get sick, people lose jobs, people have some some need then to process grief. We all went through a collective communal grief and are still going through that with a pandemic. And there are an abundance of places where we can meet those needs. And the church isn't irrelevant or doesn't have to be irrelevant in meeting those needs. But the whole trajectory of now of thinking about how the church meets those needs and what a seeker is, for me, has completely been redefined. And I think, you know, go back to the 90s. It's like once people were seeking churches, we may have been more interested in making sure the signs were shiny and the parking lot was paved Mm -hmm. rather than thinking about the way we really meet those needs. So yeah, more people might have been seeking churches, but they weren't seeking just the church. They were seeking to meet the needs that they had. So um, it's interesting to think about how we missed the boat then and how we may be missing the boat now in different ways, because, you know, churches are closing, not just Christian churches, but all faith communities are. It's just not where people are finding. And people are, are finding online communities. So I just think we have opportunity, but we need to think about what we're doing with a lot of intention.
0: Yeah. And I think what you said, we might not have even really got it in the 90s, but there was a difference in culture in that, you know, people were looking for space. And what we knew about culture was that, oh, you can find it here in the church. I think now seekers are a little bit different in that. They are searching for God more so than anything else. And sometimes they don't see that resolution in the church, which is Mm -hmm. scary to even think about. And I think sometimes we as the church need to maybe prepare ourselves for what that safe space looks like, because people have Mm -hmm. questions and sometimes even the questions they have don't fit into the specific box of our theology or what. We want them to know, but we have to give them space to have questions and seek, if you will, maybe even deeper than we have even thought or considered.
2: Right. I mean, the other kind of new in the 90s thing was SBR or SBNR, we call it spiritual, but not religious. And mm-hmm. I would have people, you know, tell me, well, I find God on a walk in the park, or mm-hmm. I find, you know, I, I don't need to come to church to find God. And I agree with that. You don't need to come to church, but mm-hmm. they were limiting church to an, you know, nine o'clock or 10 o'clock worship service on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And of course, you know, those of us who work in the church know that that's not all church is and, and can be. And the community of faith offers way more opportunities than what we do sitting facing forward next to each other in pews in a sanctuary. And so I would agree with that person to say, well, I find God, you know, walking through the woods as opposed to in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. Or people saying, well, I I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. I don't need that. But for a variety of reasons, people have rejected. And that's why the numbers have gone down. For a variety of reasons, people yeah. have found that they aren't connecting with God or even having authentic relationships in whatever they found in church and or they haven't given the church a chance because of Mm -hmm. all the negativity and all the bad publicity and all the ways the church has been broken and misbehaving that -hmm. people are like, well, I don't, I'm not going to mess with that. I'm going to go, you know, with my girlfriends to Starbucks, and we're going to have, you know, coffee clutch, and that's where I'm going to find my people and talk, maybe even talk faith. And so I do, you know, I know that, I mean, I have family members who have no patience for organized religion, no interest in it whatsoever, but they have every bit as much need and craving for a spiritual connection, and they seek out meaningful relationships in other places, and they They pray and they engage scripture and they may dabble here and there in like watching an online service, Mm -hmm. but we're just, yeah, it's an opportunity and a challenge, I think.
0: Yeah, I think, well, this may be somewhat of a side note, but I, I know one time or while I was sitting and doing my research for my dissertation um, and my doctoral work, sometimes sitting with the young adults. I don't know if it was painful, but it was definitely a challenge in that some of these young people were experiencing faith and understanding their faith in different ways, but they were very critical of the church in that they were like, well, the church doesn't want me. The church doesn't want, I understand of organized religion is not what I want. Um, And I think that that was a little bit hurtful for me to, I mean, I understood it, but Mm -hmm. it was a little bit hard for me as a pastor to even kind of wrestle with that.
2: Of course, Um, of course. Well, and here's another thing that I've been challenged with is, so as clergy to clergy, you and I have both been, you know, theologically trained and we mm -hmm. have certain expectations, but I don't know about you, but I was trained more to prepare worship and expressions mm-hmm. of faith and opportunities for people to grow in discipleship. The training I received was geared for people that were already steeped in that culture or mm-hmm. already churched, yeah. let's say, um, yeah. who where I didn't have to like teach them a new language and begin from, from scratch. For you to nod your head and say, even because you're younger than me, so to <laughs> hear that seminaries are still training people basically within the lexicon of, you know, this is the way we teach church people how to be better church people that's not helpful because you work with young young people who probably didn't have a great Sunday school experience because we've just we've we've mm. not done a great job in that or haven't, you know, they probably haven't been raised up in church. Yeah. And my, my biggest challenges as a pastor in every community I served were the people that came to me and they would say something like, you know, what is prayer? You know, uh-huh. how, you, you know, how do you talk to God or who is God or what is you know, who is Jesus and where is Jesus? And, you know, just these basic questions and trying to figure out how to grasp for some kind of connecting point, because again, they're seeking something. They've heard that maybe God is the answer and how to begin walking with people who have no reference point. Maybe they went to a wedding in a church building or mm-hmm. a funeral, but they were not raised in any kind of religious community or experience. And then interestingly, if now I'm meeting people who have even felt a call to ministry who have not had that experience. And I'm thinking, well, how? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm grateful for that because now I see the power of God can work in and through us. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to what I was saying this person. So I find God in the woods. Like, yes, okay, great. I'm glad you found God in the woods. God found you, you know all kinds of places too and yet how do we then join together in a faith sharing and how do we raise up people to be disciples of christ because that's our mission as united methodists we're still supposed to be making disciples of christ so that means somewhere Mm -hmm. along the line we have to teach people who christ is or who jesus is and Mm -hmm. then engage them in the desire and willingness to follow that that one that we claim as disciples so along the way, if we can meet people where they are and then eventually join with them in this journey of discipleship, that's, that's a challenge for people that are so far removed from that.
0: Yeah, I like the way you frame that because seminary does teach us how to teach people who are already in the church. And I think even in my actual practice of ministry and even pushing myself in my doctoral work, I've had to learn how to do ministry outside of the box and encourage myself to think about different ways. Because like you said, I think people are looking for God in different ways, but it is not necessarily the conventional way that we've been taught. And so I think that is has been a difficult shift for people, especially coming out of COVID, we've definitely had to change the way we do church completely. And there's just a shift in culture. But I know that in your meditation, you talked about how camping or camping ministries allowed you to find or give you space to be your authentic self. And I guess I wanted you to talk a little bit about what that experience might have been like for you and what it might mean in terms of how we shape ministry to create spaces for people to find their authentic self.
2: So it's true. I, I, um, I'm one of those people that wasn't raised up in the church, not from birth, but in my youth, I was invited to participate in a religious camping experience, United Methodist Church Camp to be specific. And um, so there I was one of those people who didn't have the f- frame of reference, didn't hadn't been taught to pray. I'd been a flower girl in a neighbor's wedding in a Catholic church, you know, when I was seven. That was the only time I'd been in a church. So I had this invitation to go to camp. So it's camp, you know, all the fun things, the games, the mm-hmm. the water sports, all, all the fun parts of that, making a cake and the coals in the ground. and And that's just a whole wonderful, great, fun experience. And yet there was something deeper there that I found. And for a kid who, you know, I was a brainiac. And so that, you know, the nerds are treated as nerds. will, you know, like just kind of marginalized in a way. And to some extent now, now looking back, I see every group felt they were marginalized (laughs) as, as a kid. But, you know, I felt like, oh, you know, people don't get me, don't understand me, but not all that kind of washed away. It just wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. And so right away, I'm like, something is different here. This is a different place. This is a different environment. This is a completely different way of being with people who are my peers, who back in school, aren't these people that would treat me as weird or, you know, wouldn't befriend me. And yet here, these people are my age, and they're from all different walks of life. And yet somehow here in this space, There's a different value set. There's a different norm. There's a different expectation that here in this space, everybody belongs. And no one is more important than another. And everyone is encouraged to use their voice, to express themselves, to engage with other people. And you don't have to hide anything about yourself. Because of that, then I was also exposed to people very different from me. People were more free to be their authentic selves. And I may not have seen those kinds of expressions back in another um, environment. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I didn't know these people Were people they weren't people that I went to school with, which also probably helped, but they were of a type so I could see, okay, there's the beautiful girl that must be the cheerleader and yet she's sharing from her heart you know, whatever she has going on in her life or the, you know, all the stereotypical thing. Okay. There's the jock. I'll just use that, you know, the language. So you put people in a box and you expect them to be a certain way, but here people weren't acting the way that my stereotypical mind was still putting them in boxes. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that was just this amazing awakening of there's a place (laughs) (laughs) Where we all get along and we, so you talk, you asked me outside of the the podcast to talk talk about beloved community Mm -hmm. because I mentioned that in term and, you know, that's what beloved community I think is supposed to be. Everybody is a beloved creation of God, but we don't see each other that way. We don't look at each other and accept one another as a beloved child of God normally. I mean, in the real world, we just don't. We put people in boxes. We just decide who they are and what they must be. And we do it implicitly. We do it explicitly, but we do it implicitly. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about implicit bias, you're not even aware you're doing it. So that's just, you know, but we do it. Science shows us that we do it. We put people in boxes. We decide who they are, how they probably think, how they're going to treat us, all that. But as I experienced a breaking open of that, a possibility, a place where um, I could be authentically who I was and other people could too. And it didn't just happen once. It happened year over year. So then I began to see, okay, this is a set apart place. This is special. Mm -hmm. And then because I was able to connect that, understood then later as I was getting older that that was connected to a place called church, then I wanted to be part of that. So, you know, my journey, my trajectory to becoming part of organized religion was through that camp because of what I saw as Beloved Community. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for me, I had that experience, right? Unfortunately, I know that I was really lucky to have that experience. You know, we can't guarantee that every camp is going to offer that experience. And we Mm -hmm. certainly can't guarantee that church, which sponsors those camps Mm -hmm. is going to be that experience. And so, you know, I had some rude awakenings when then I followed the path to the church and then find that oh well you know not every church is like that and <laughs> and and it really just comes down to we're we're human right and to and to maintain that level of relationship with one another is very hard given all, all of the inputs we have and all the pressures we have to take sides now or to choose you know who's in who's out it really does make it hard to find a place that we can recognize as a place where all people are really welcome, no matter how much we say it, Mm -hmm. are people really welcome with our words and our actions? Do we express that? And do we really value each person with all that they are?
0: So in that, my question is, what what is the challenge for the church to create that beloved community? Because, I mean, you talked a little bit about how people even may go to a Starbucks on Sunday morning and that's kind of their church, but mm-hmm. what is, which is outside of the box for any of us who sit in the church on Sunday morning, but maybe what is the challenge for the church or how can the church create those spaces of building beloved community where we don't put people in a box, but we love on them authentically and allow them to be their full selves without fitting into maybe the stereotype.
2: Well- I think it's becoming even more difficult now. I'll start with another challenge. I just think that we've become more polarized politically, culturally. What I fear is going to happen is churches are going to become more homogenous, I mean, we're already, it's, uh, that's kind of even bizarre to say, because churches are pretty homogenous and have been. We know yeah. they're already racially you know, segregated, but in so many other ways. And now if we're going to become more ideologically separated, our own denomination is going through a huge shift. Yeah. And if we break into two separate spheres that kind of mirror the country's own d- cultural divide, we're not going to end up with places of that are beloved community we're not going to end up we're going to end up with places that feel really comfortable because everybody's like us mm-hmm. and thinks the same way mm-hmm. and i just to me that that feels great right that feels wonderful you can find a place where everybody loves you accepts you for who you are great there's not very many places like that and we keep making them smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> True. Um, and so while we want that we crave that and that's what we're gonna be we're going to gravitate toward. I know that I'm called to push against that and do the more difficult thing and try to create spaces where there's, you know, where where we are gathered in diversity. And mm-hmm. that's messy and doesn't feel as good and it doesn't feel as comfortable. And yet I believe that's what we're called to do and be because I don't think we get to God's intended creation unless we do it. Mm-hmm. Now that's we're going to have to find ways of protecting ourselves and feeding our spirits and having some soul care, which is kind of, you know, self-care. We need that to grow. But then we got to stretch out of that and go to the uncomfortable places and be able to try to get along with one another. And I think church can be the same. It's harder and harder, the larger you get. So one of the answers Mm -hmm. to your question is, I think you do it in small groups. I think that you, you don't, automatically expect 100 people in a room to be that. When you get 100 people in a room, you're gonna sit with people in worship that you don't know and you can't know. You can't know deeply and intimately. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned as a pastor in every church I was in, I'd had people that worshiped together for 50 years. When I got them in a small group with one another to like begin to share, like, you know, a small group, it could be for a Bible study or it could be for some class or it could could be just be to get them in a group around a table during a coffee hour. And you start engaging them with one another, they get them to talk about their lives. Mm-hmm. I found that they didn't know the deepest truths about each other or even I'm not even talking about the deepest truths I'm talking about. They just didn't know basic things about each other. Yeah. So I think that we know people in one sense, and we're familiar with people in a community same thing with our, you know, our neighborhoods, you you know who your neighbor is, maybe, and you might smile a friendly hello, but you don't know what's going on with them. And unfortunately, that's the way it's gotten to be in the church. But mm-hmm. every single church I served, that was the case, I found that I serve five different churches, very different each one, but in each one, what they had in common was, well, oh, everybody, we're a church, we're a family, we're a church, we've known each other forever, we've grown up together. And then to get them into a place of more vulnerability, to get them into to a conversation where they had to go just a little bit deeper and scratch under the surface and start to reveal who they really were, their eyes were wide open and like, I never knew that about you. <laughs> and, um, and then as they began to be more comfortable telling those truths about themselves, then they be- they, then they began to see what it means to really have to care for each other. So, you know, it's like it's one thing okay, you're you're sick or your husband fell and broke his hip and so I'm going to bring you a casserole. And it's a whole different thing to know and guess what, we've been, you know, our marriage has been in trouble for you know 10 years or whatever. I mean that's that's a pretty deep truth. You're going to take a long time to reveal some of that stuff. Yeah. But now if I know that about you then I'm going to I'm going to see you differently on Sunday morning. I'm going to think about different ways that I can care for you. I'm going to understand that I don't have to hide my pain from you because you've got your own pain. And now I recognize that you might be a kindred spirit. One of the places that I found um, the most meaningful connecting point when I formed small groups of people with intentional, intentional regularity and and gathering together was that it was the pain points that were the deepest points of connection. It Mm -hmm. was the places of people's pain. It was their brokenness. It was there, and there, you know, scripture says that we are able to heal one another through because of our own, you know, the places where we, where we recognize our own imperfection. There's an image of pottery being shattered and then being put together, and it's through the broken places that we're able to help one another heal. Well, I think that that's what I saw happening. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier about seeking. So many of us are seeking mm. healing from the broken places in our lives. And one of the best ways we heal is in community when other fellow travelers who are also broken can share from a place of pain and offer hope to say, you know, I've been through that. Not to dismiss your pain, but to say, I can walk with you in this because I understand you better.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think you're right in that we are in a place of where we're so polarized. Um, But I think you got at that point of we have to kind of sit with each other and kind of really build relationship. Yes. Um, Because there are certain issues that I don't know if we could always reconcile on because they're rooted in my or someone else's oppression. However, I think if we sit around one another and kind of get to know one another, we don't hate each other because I think that that's kind of where we have gotten, where we're, you know, we, We have the conversations of tension and we kind of dislike each other based on our disagreements on that, but we don't sit around and kind of hear people's pain, hear people's truth um, and get to know one another. I think it's interesting that you talked about how you were in a church and these people have been around one another for years and they still don't really know one another. I think that that is often the case with churches. We know, we, we've known each other for years, but we don't really know the intimate details of someone's life. And we don't always even know their joys and their pains because we haven't taken time to really get to know one another. And I think that the church has a lot of space to grow in that way. Um,
2: yeah. I mean, I, it, right. That's my number one thing. You know, I always, say that church isn't a church if if we are not really an authentic community for me a faith community is people who can live in authentic relationship with one another and Mm -hmm. that goes back to my roots of how I came to know the church and what the church can be to me Mm -hmm. the church at its highest potential is a place where people can be authentic and welcoming of one another and there's a lot of things we're never going to all agree on and there's places where we need to challenge one another. So it isn't about like you talked about, you know, there's things that we're never going to really completely reconcile because we have different histories and we bring to the relationship our our flaws, which Mm -hmm. include the places of places where we're kind of messed up or we've we've been taught to, you know, just oppress. And we've been taught. I mean, we've just we've inherited a lot of things that we've got to grow out of. That's why I talked earlier about transformation. I mean, the church is. A difficult place, but one of its goals is that we're going to transform our complete mission statement. I said earlier begins with make disciples of Jesus Christ, but what's the end game? Transformation of the world, yeah. right? Yeah. So we, so we don't, we're it's just you don't just follow Jesus. Where are we going? Well, we're yeah. going toward transformation and liberation and hope mm-hmm. and freedom for all. So that's our hope, but that's hard. And I think that again, it's not just about finding a group of friends and getting along. That's why the Starbucks. Thing isn't church mm-hmm. it's it's a friendship group it's it's fine it can be church if they expand that if they mm-hmm. take if they go from that place of growing deeper in their faith but then that's not you can't it, stay it, at Starbucks. And, and maybe maybe it's not Starbucks because of what you're learning about your faith and and what would Jesus do? Maybe it's some other place to have coffee. But, you know, it, it's like, yes, we we we've got to, to figure out. And then another thing you said, Rachel, that I thought was really important. And one of the things that I had a, an opportunity to think more about in the last couple of years was the, the word hate. Hate is what's getting in the way of so much of this. Because of the polarization it's caused us to hate, I was able to go, you know, the church hosted Secretary Secretary Mineta's, It was before you came here, but Secretary Mineta's funeral a couple of years ago. And he was the Secretary of Transportation for the U.S. But his best friend was Senator Simpson from Wyoming. And you have this Asian American who was interred in a camp during, you know, in, in Wyoming who befriended this white Wyoming kid when they were 12. Um, and it was through Boy Scouts that they were able to build a bridge and a relationship. And then they were pretty much, you know, on opposite political camps, their whole careers. Mm-hmm. And yet they re- they retained their friendship and they were able to work together in ways that we can't even imagine our, our political leaders doing today. And I asked Senator Simpson after Mineta's memorial service if there was any hope in that happening again today, those kinds of relationships and that kind of cooperation. And he said, our stumbling block is hate. Mm. He said, we could if people didn't have hate, but everything's been turned into hate. So people hate, hated Obama. People hate Trump. People, and, and if, if yeah. we if we just hate one another based on whatever side we're on, and, and hate is the default setting for how we perceive one another. We can't move past that. He said, until we move past hate and we see one another again as human beings and living on this planet together in cooperation, we can't. And so that unfortunately is infiltrated into the church. And I see some of the ugliest hate because of the job I do. And because um, because I work in the bishop's office and because yeah, yeah. that's the that's the point at which people, you know, want to focus their hatred right now. And it's hatred. I mean, we I mean yeah. it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. Some of the email, some of the calls, the vitriol that is happening for pe- from people who call themselves Christians, and we're not talking about just one side. I will, you know, it, it is people yeah. are getting ugly. Yeah. So we have this human capacity to really hate. And when that infiltrates the church, which it already has, and probably maybe it always has, but it's just surfacing more now, mm-hmm. then I don't know how we get to Beloved Community. You know, I have ideas, but it is definitely a huge challenge.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. Especially given kind of where where we are. And I know that even the specific issue of some of those churches leaving, I think we a little bit look at it as a black and white issue, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think at the, at the core of it, we have not been loving on one another. Like you said, maybe that has always been the case, but we are in a climate where some of that is surfacing a little bit more. And that may be the challenge for the church to even find out how to continue to love one another in the midst of all that we are dealing with in the moment. Yeah, well. we
2: could do another whole podcast, Rachel, on how <laughs> maybe we just need to dismantle it and start over. Because in my wow. heart of hearts, I, I kind of believe that you, you, we've got a tainted thing. And, mm-hmm. and, dis, and unless we start building something from a different place, it may not be possible within, a, within an institution that's already
0: um, corrupt. So that's... Yeah. For another day. <laughs> yes, that's another, another day's problem. But for our last question before we go, I did want to ask you, because you talked a little bit about how we find God in different places, not necessarily just the church building, but mm-hmm. maybe wanted to maybe pivot and maybe go on a little bit of a lighter note of where yeah. have you found God? Because you invited the congregation to see God in nature, maybe outside their window or in their homes, but where have you seen God, maybe recently, because you probably have seen God in many different places, but where have you seen God move in your life?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start with the most recent, which is, I mean, we were walking on American University campus at seven o'clock last night, and it took Mm -hmm. my breath away. It is like your picture-perfect garden right now, and it's unbelievable. I've never seen springtime in that you know amount of glorious perfection and it just I just had to stop in my tracks and then alongside that was just a a quad filled with young people who were you know enjoying it who were just relishing this 70 degree day 80 degree day and laying there and maybe studying but throwing a frisbee and whatever and just Mm -hmm. seeing the youth you know, who most of the time I read statistics or hear stories about how full of angst they are and how, you know, they're a bundle of nerves and anxiety and and to see them taking a moment to just live and, and receive this gift of an 80 degree day and, and all, all the beauty and the green grass that they were lying in and just laying there looking at this, and I, somebody was setting up a telescope, and it was a full moon, and I think the planets are all aligned, and so, you know, they're relishing in that, and and so it was just really a great place to be in the moment to receive these definitely gifts of God's creation as, as just to sell, and to celebrate that, and stories of people, um, I work um, with people who are very busy and very pulled in in many directions and pulled into this fight we're having. And so it's, Mm. it's stressing everybody out. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet we take time because of, because of the nature of our work, because we're all working for a a religious organization, a regular pattern of our meetings is to worship with one another. And we take turns sharing devotions. And, and a couple of weeks ago, one of my colleagues just told a story about a time in her life when she was at her lowest and Mm. the power of a connection she made with a child um, in that moment that turned the trajectory of her faith around. Mm. And that's what I'm talking about, about being able to tell our true stories to one another. Because for me, Her sharing her truth. I can't tell. I would love to use that story and like preach it somewhere, but Mm -hmm. it's not my story to tell. It's her story to tell. And I was so grateful for her for sharing that story because it renewed my faith. Um, It restored my hope, which is why she told the story because it did it for her 20 years ago at her lowest, lowest point of life where she was not sure she could live another day or wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, um, she told that story to a people who are hurting, who are caring for people who are hurting, who are wondering those same things now. And that's, um, a, that's how God shows up in yeah. those relationships, in that storytelling, in that, you know, being real with un- one another. If she'd kept that story to her, I believe God, I believe that all that happened to her 20 years ago was meant to be shared. And you know, and she had to get to a place where she could share it, you know. And I think we're not the first audience that she shared it with. So, so how many times does she get to tell that story and transform the lives around her? And we all have opportunities to do that with our story. So it yeah. just it, it for me that was a place where I saw Christ showing up in her. She was Christ to me in telling me that story, um, so that I could see. Um, how how God shows up um, in so many ways and um, people call that a miracle. And I'm like, well, that's just every God does that every day. God yeah. shows up in our lives every day. Yeah. And when I talked about those small groups, we always began every time I formed a small group. The first question was, where have you seen God this week? Where has God showed up in your life? Where have you experienced the presence and the power of God in your life? And, you know, people don't know how to, people don't know how to answer that question who haven't been in a community that asks that question. Mm. And so I appreciate you asking me the question. And I think that's how we begin to get real with one another.
0: Well, and on that note, because, I mean, I think for me, that has been the gift of this podcast, really, even people sharing their stories and God showing up in people's lives so that we can see that journey so thank you for sharing with us thank you for sharing your story and the church has been challenged i think by what you have shared so thank you well
2: you're welcome thank you very
1: much rachel
0: we want to thank erica robinson johnson for sharing her story She shared the gift of camping ministries and she also challenged us to live more like Christ as we seek to build relationship and get to know one another as we are trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ and also transform the world around us. I believe that the time is coming for us to do ministry in a new way. And Reverend Erica Robinson-Johnson didn't exactly say that, but I felt like that was part of our conversation in that we are looking to do ministry differently and see one another on a deeper level. And sometimes we have to think outside the box because believe it or not, the church is transitioning evolving. And this podcast is proof of that thinking outside the box. It doesn't function the way that we typically do ministry but it seeks to one, grow disciples for Jesus Christ, but also transform the world around it as we listen to stories and have conversation around it and build ourselves. But all in all, we want people to find a place to find God. And sometimes we have to do that by getting to know the person next to us. Our society right now is so polarized that we, don't really take the time to get to know one another. And we typically just fight with each other on deeper issues, not really coming to see one another. Yes, some issues that we have, are not necessarily reconcilable because they're rooted in someone's oppression or pain. But if we take the time to get to know one another, there might be more progress that we can make when we see that person for a person rather than an enemy. Right now in the United Methodist Church, we are dealing with a lot of polarity and dislike of one another. But sometimes we have to work through the conflict that's dividing us and see each other as children of God. I pray that as you heard Reverend Erica Robinson Johnson that you are changed after hearing her. And I pray that you are challenged to get to know the person sitting next to you. The person sitting next to you on the pew or even the person sitting next to you at the coffee house down the street from you. Erica mentioned that camping experience and the freedom that she had and how it brought out the experience for children to live out their full selves. And so we at National would like to extend this opportunity to the children at the Trayron Center who have suffered the trauma of gun violence in their communities. And so we're asking that if you have the capability of doing so, that you might help us do that by donating to the effort of sending them to camp. So if you would like to support this, you can donate to www.nationalchurch.org and then click on the donate button. And when you click on the donate button, you can indicate that you want to donate to the Trayron Center. That is T-R-A-R-O-N, Trayron. And give somebody a blessing today. So if you want to catch us anywhere else, you can catch us on our website at www.nationalchurch.org where you can find our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services. You can also catch us in person on Nebraska Avenue in Northwest D.C. or on Connecticut Avenue in Northwest D.C. as well. That is where we have our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services. But you can also join us on all of our social media platforms. You can catch us on Facebook at National United Methodist Church. Catch us on TikTok at National Church DC and Instagram at UMC. And of course, you can join us for prayer and praise on Wednesday nights at 6pm at www.nationalchurch.org slash prayer and praise. Remember, we seek to make the love of God obvious. So let your story be a lived out prayer and let your witness be a praise to God. And I'm going to let us close out the way that we always do and let our meditators the Reverend Erica Robinson Johnson close us out peace and blessings y'all thank you everyone
2: for joining um, this evening and if you know the words the blessing that I shared earlier you can join with me but I'm going to use the same words again to send us forth may God work through us and our gifts So that what comes to us as seed goes forth as flower and what comes to us as flower or all the other things that you've named as signs and images of God's goodness, grace and love would go forth as fruit. Amen.